0: Hello and welcome to the Scriptures are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them more real for us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and apply them to our lives better and we certainly need the power of God in our lives as much as we can have it. I'm your host, Carrie Mulestein, and I'm so grateful to have uh, my longtime friend and colleague, although that makes us sound old, so I maybe yeah. shouldn't say that, but uh, Dr. Gay Strathern, who is uh, a professor of ancient scripture like I am. She's also the associate dean in my college, the, uh, the College of Religious Education, and uh, you'll notice when she talks that Gay is from down under, and uh, she studied at BYU, but also at uh, Well, I think you studied in Australia for a little while. You were a physical therapist, weren't
1: you? Yeah, I did.
0: Yeah. And then at BYU and then at Claremont Graduate University. Uh, That's the the name of it now. I I think you uh, told me that last time. And you can hear more about Gay in our earlier podcast. For those who have been following, she's been with us uh, a few times now, even last year with the Old Testament and so on. So I'd encourage you to go back and find those episodes with Gay and you'll find that she's always good. So anyway, thank you, Gay. Thanks for being with us.
1: Oh, thanks, Kerry. It's good to be with you. <clears throat> thanks what for the invitation. What else should we know?
0: Oh, well, you're welcome. What, what else should we know about you, Gay?
1: She, oh, she plays
0: cricket and is an avid cricket fan. I should say that. She taught a bunch <laughs> of us how to play cricket once, and that was actually a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I don't play it very well, but I do like to watch it. And it's yeah. World Cup is coming up, so that's a bit exciting at the moment.
0: And you have to kind of stay up late at night to watch it, I think. That's but, right. <laughs> because yep. the time zone. Well, Wonderful. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about uh, the epistle to the Galatians, uh, which is, uh, we're finally starting to get into some of the shorter epistles, uh, and I'll just remind our audience that we're studying them in the order that they are in the Bible, which is not chronological order but kind of order of length, except for Hebrews and a couple of things like that. But anyway, uh, but largely order of length. And so we're, we're getting to some of the shorter. We have several epistles that are this kind of mid-range length as we go from like Galatians through Thessalonians and so on. So uh, Gay or Dr. Strathern is going to walk us through this. And so why don't you just tell us uh, where you'd like to jump in?
1: Hey, Um So I think just the kind of a brief overview of Galatians. uh, In some ways, this epistle is different from many of the others. Paul is not writing to a single city or a single branch of the church like he is maybe in Corinthians or Romans, Um, nor is he writing to a specific individual like Timothy or Titus. But uh, chapter one, verse two says he's writing to the churches, plural, in Galatia. Now, there's some debate about where those churches are. Um, On the one hand, there's something called the North Galatian hypothesis, and that suggests that he's writing um, to the ethnic. Galatians um and uh the uh, other which means they're
0: they're for Gauls right yes uh, yeah, yeah
1: Gauls or Celts who, yeah. who came into the area about the 3rd century BC um if that's the 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 audience then we have no record of Paul being there or teaching there right <laughs> but the south galatian hypothesis is uh believes that it's the the Roman province of Galatia that was established in about 25 AD. Um, And we do have record of Paul teaching in this area on his first and his second missionary journeys. And if that's the case, we're talking about Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe, which are kind of in central Turkey, as we know it today. So, if this is the case, I think this is important to appreciate that Paul is deeply connected with the people that he's writing to, and he has a really vested interest in their uh, spiritual welfare.
0: In fact, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know this far better than I do, but uh, if that it is that group, they're among his first Gentile converts, that, that, yeah. like some of the first people he preaches to on his first mission.
1: Yes. And so what he's doing, and this, this is true for most of Paul's missionary journeys, is that he's going to go into a new town or city. And one of the first places he goes to are the synagogues um, and to preach there because their, their format was such that that people could go and and teach from it. but one of the things I think is uh really important and maybe we could even go to um Acts 13 here uh where he's giving us this is where he's in Antioch of Pisidia and and I love Luke because he gives us a lot of the historical, context for the the epistles that we're going to read later and and i love this one in it's chapter 13 verse 14 because he gives us a like luke likes types right so he tells in great detail or patterns uh what paul does and how he does it and then he assumes that we real as readers realize that that's the form that he takes most of the time right Right. so when he's in uh, it comes to antioch pisidia Uh, he gets the opportunity they've read from the law and the prophets and now they ask people to stand up if they'd like to to speak and and this is how Paul starts in verse 16 then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience now I think that that's really important because Paul is recognizing here that in the synagogue, there are two groups of people. There are House of Israel people, which we would expect. But sometimes uh, we don't always appreciate that um, in the early church, well, in the the time of Jesus and, and yeah. Paul, there were were a number of Gentiles who were attracted to the law of Moses. Sometimes I think today we think, well, what would you want to do that for? But they saw real value in the law as giving them really practical advice of how to live and how to, you know, the type of life that the philosophers said live a virtuous life. Well, the law of Moses gave some practical guidance and direction to that. And that was really attractive to some people. And so, There seems to be two main groups of Gentiles that are already attached to the synagogue. There's one group known as proselytes, and um, uh, and and we know what that word is: somebody Gentiles who convert to Judaism fully. Mm -hmm. But there and there's this other group though that we often refer to as God-fearers, and I think that this is the word here that is being used in verse 16. And God fearers are really attracted to the law of Moses. But for some reason, they're not fully converted. One of those reasons, especially for the men, may be circumcision, but there may be other things as well. And so what are these God fearers? In some ways, I think about them to make an analogy is what we would consider dry Mormons, right? Mm. That they come to church, they may even pay tithing, they really like, but for some reason, whatever it is, they're not fully baptized and become converts. And in an ancient Jewish text, Josephus and Philo, they're telling us that these are happening on a regular basis. Well, well it's not an unusual thing for right. them to happen. And Paul is here, and he's talking to the house of Israel and to the God-fearers, right? And, and
0: maybe I can just remind our audience they've actually encountered some of these people in the Gospels. Yes. We've got at least, uh, you know, the centurion in uh, in Capernaum, Well, and in Acts, this uh, This Cornelius Cornelius, is is a God-fearer, right? So we've got two centurions that we know of, and and there are others that seem to be God-fearers. So uh, we have encountered this idea before.
1: Right. And so when he goes up, then he gets into his preaching part. Look at verse 26, the same thing. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, To you is the word of salvation sent. So early on in his missionary work, even though he's going to the the synagogue, he's still finding uh, uh, Israelites, but also Gentiles in the form of those who are already attached in some way to the law of Moses. And then if we go down to verse 43, and when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes So now we've got people who are Gentiles who are converts uh, followed Paul and Barnabas. Um, So this is happening in in Acts in uh, what might be considered the churches of Galatia. And so we've got both groups here and Paul is teaching them. And he has a vested interest in them and uh, and their journey, um, even after he's left um, the city or the area.
0: And that might be worth. Uh, I think we've said this a lot of times on the podcast, but it might be worth uh, just reminding our audience that a, a lot of the function of these epistles are Paul, who can't uh, have a Zoom conference with people he's converted before, and it's not, he can't catch a plane and go back and have a state conference with them. He's he's trying to help those whom have joined the church, and then he's moved on to other places to to keep building the kingdom of God. Keep them in the way. Keep things. Uh, keep them strengthened in the faith. Fix problems. Just keep things going the way they should. And 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 help and strength. He's he's still trying to minister to them from yeah. afar, and that's the purpose yeah. of these epistles for the most part.
1: And one of the other thing I think is that um, uh, Paul isn't the only Christian missionary out there right. preaching the gospel. And um and honestly, uh, different Christian uh, missionaries are preaching the gospel from their perspective, right? Mm. Um, And so they're seeing things about Christianity and and how to live it in different ways than Paul. And so there's some diversity of uh, interpretations and sometimes they clash. And Galatians seems to be one of those places where there's a clashing.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well said.
1: Okay. So the other thing I, I do want to just kind of, point out in Galatians 1, where these are letters and they have the format of letters. I know we don't write letters anymore. We just do email or or texting, but they had formal letters. But I'm really interested in the, the first verse where Paul introduces him, and this is part of the introduction. He says, Paul, an apostle of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's really interesting to me because if we go to first Thessalonians and we haven't done this in come follow me yet but first Thessalonians many scholars believe I think I think with good reason uh, think that this is the earliest the first of Paul's epistles to be written and I'm really interested which went
0: Thessalonians he- or Galatians?
1: First Thessalonians okay. is okay, predating Galatians. And I'm interested how First Thessalonians Paul introduces that. He says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Lord, oh, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. There, note that he makes no no mention of him being an apostle. Hmm. Um, But uh, from then on, we get most of the apostles, uh, most of the epistles are going to make some kind of uh, reference to him being an apostle in the introduction. They do it in slightly different ways. But I'm interested in Paul's here. So has something happened from when he first started out on his mission um, as a missionary to when he's writing this now, that he that it's now really important to them to know that he is an apostle um, and that he has some authority for from what he's writing. Um, and I think it's also important. For understanding Galatians as epistle as an epistle as a whole, that he said he got his authority as an apostle not from man but from Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's really important to him in this epistle, as we'll see later on in um uh, in chapter one. So he introduces himself and uh and what he's doing and who he is and who he's writing to. And that's verses 1 through 5. And, and this is another place where Galatians is a little bit different from most other epistles. Because normal epistles are going to say, hi, this is who I am. This is who I'm writing with. You're who I'm writing to. And then he starts off with this, you know, you guys in Corinth are doing some really good things that I like. and uh, and And praises them. Even though we know in 1 Corinthians, he's going to go on and say, yeah, there's some problems here as as well. But that initial part of you're doing great things. Notice what happens in Galatians. It's missing. So initially, uh, immediately after his introduction, he gets into and says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and unto another gospel. And the one who called them was him, right? He was the missionary. Um, And so, and you've moved into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? right? So all of a sudden he's telling us, he's he's a little, uh, I love Paul, right? But I think he's a little ticked as he's writing this because some of these other Christian missionaries have come in uh, and they're, I think, still there as he's writing to them, but he's removed, and so he's having to respond to some of the things that they're teaching that weren't like what Paul had taught them. So a gospel that Paul taught into another gospel that somebody else is teaching. So that kind Hi. of sets us up.
0: Good. Thank you. Thank you. And then I think we'll probably get into it because the chapters get into it at some other historical events that he's addressing as well. Yeah, so yeah. Well, great. great. Very that's a great overview. Thank you. And and I, I think you're right. I mean, there's a you sense elements of frustration in yep. this letter. So yep. okay, let's let's keep going.
1: Okay, so um in chapter one, uh, Paul is one of the things about Galatians is sometimes he, he gives us a first hand account of some things that happened in his life. Acts gives us a second or third hand account, but Paul Mm -hmm. gives us his own account. And I always think if we're going to get a first hand account of anything, we should take notice of that. Yeah. Um, And uh, so he he fleshes
0: out his own story more in this letter than just about anywhere else. There's some things we wouldn't know about Paul if it weren't for this letter
1: absolutely and i think that he's giving these examples specifically because he's responding to what's happening in galatia yeah right? and they're
0: kind of questioning uh whether we should follow what paul taught us or not because we have these yeah. other guys teaching us
1: yeah yeah so in chapter 1 uh we get some of this really important uh biographical information and it's probably 11 through 23 mm. right and probably not all of it but all here is reinforcing now what he said in verse 1 of chapter 1 I have received my authority as an apostle from, not from any human but from Jesus Christ himself and God and frankly I'm not sure that we fully understood when this is happening but I think it's worth uh looking at uh, what he tells us so verse 11 for I certify you brethren That the gospel which was preached of me is not of man. This isn't something I'm making up, which I think his opponents may be suggesting. Neither received I it of man, neither was I taught it. But I was taught by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, That becomes fundamentally important to him. Now, I think it's also important that we understand the grammar Of revelation of Jesus Christ, Um, because it can be understood two ways. This could be referred to, or understood, or interpreted, or translated as the revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. or the revelation that is about. Jesus Christ. So right. the technical term is whether this is a subject or, of an, or an objective genitive. Right. And, and we see this all of the time in scriptures, right? The scriptures the talk about of God. the love of God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, are sorry. we talking about God's love or are we talking about our love of God? Right. And so is he talking about a revelation that he had about Jesus Christ or are we talking about the revelation that was Jesus Christ's that he gave to Paul? Right. Right and and, and both of and those often I think, can be important it's
0: all of the above. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes.
1: And and it's the nuance and that's what I why I like thinking through this language because it's not an either or. Right. But it's a a nuanced way that we can learn from both responses right. to it. And okay? in
0: fact I would suggest that if Jesus Christ is revealed to you there is within that something that he is revealing to you that you should share, right? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, just yeah. just by the nature of him being revealed to you. But. Yes,
1: excellent. So this is his first thing, right? That this was important that he's got his authority from Christ. And he, he acknowledges that in and of himself, he's not a perfect being. And, and Paul is always kind of, uh, what's the word I want? Um, he's always concerned about how he persecuted the church mm. before his revelation. That that yeah. The word I want is haunts him. And it's not, yeah. not necessarily in a bad thing, but he's always thinking, well, I did the wrong thing. Here. And here he says, um, uh, for ye have heard of my conversation, and the word here means my conduct. The word has changed in meaning a little bit since King James' time. In time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now the Greek here is an imperfect form, which means that it has a an ongoing impact.
0: Right. And, so, and, and that, was wasting it, as it yeah, were.
1: Right? Yeah, or tried to destroy it is one yeah. way. I tried mm. to destroy the church. Mm. And, uh, and then he says, and profit in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of the fathers. So mm. I lived the law of Moses. I did it the best that I could, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Very zealously.
1: Very yeah. zealously, yes. Yeah. And I see that, I think that we saw that in Paul. And then he goes and talks about how, you know, we know historically that he has this revelation on the road to Damascus from Acts, um and that after that he 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 left for a period of time and went down into the desert to spend some time and it's it's uh, then he goes back to Damascus and then he comes down to Jerusalem he doesn't immediately go to Jerusalem and so in acts 1 paul is talking about his first post <clears throat> revelation experience returning to Jerusalem um and he's very clear here in verse 16 Um, that I went, I conferred not with flesh and blood um, to get my authority. That wasn't the reason for going there. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and turned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him. Um, And the word see here in, in Greek is to get the history from Peter. Mm. Um, But other apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. So his his thought here is, I didn't go to get my authority from Peter or James, even though today we would think, oh, well, that would be natural. But I went to get the history from Peter and Jesus' half-brother, James. And I'm sure that there are lots of things that they knew and experienced with Jesus that peter paul didn't have and to get those kind of things
0: yeah wouldn't wouldn't we all love to sit down for 15 minutes with either one of those yeah i mean that that, incredible that he's getting it from the like the best sources and i mean i think correct me if i'm wrong but isn't this where the only place we learned that he spent like three years preparing before he really went and started to kind of integrate himself into the church and and try and do things
1: Yeah, because um, Acts tells us that he kind of uh, all of a sudden he goes to Ananias and he starts preaching and things like that. But I can imagine, and you know, I have lots of questions to ask Paul when I get upstairs, right? (laughs) Lots of them, and it's ever growing, actually. But I can imagine that him wanting to take some time and go, whoa, what is the implication? of this revelation for me, for my life, how I move forward. And I don't know what he did in Arabia, but in the scriptures, deserts are symbols for preparation, yeah. right? Yeah. And we see that quite a lot. Um and so how he prepared for that, we're not told, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear his side of the story on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Preparation and communion, I would say. And yeah. there may be another element, and this is maybe reading too much into it, but this is, you know, I, I like to try and put myself, that's part of what scriptures are real is about, is put myself in their place and think, how would this be if I were in their shoes? And I think that there may be an element of not being quite ready to to go and try and be around people who you were just trying to kill or yeah. in prison. Uh, yeah. um, that's not comfortable, right? I, 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 I may be tempted to say, okay, uh, if this is your gospel, I'm going to go live it. I don't think I can live it or among these people. They would hate me. They would not want me. So I might have to live this on my own, um, just away somewhere uh, or something along those lines, or it may take me a while. They need some time to forget and forgive and allow me to come back. And even then it still is difficult, but sure. he is He is not in a position where he'll be easily accepted, right? So this is probably, the, in my mind, the biggest difference between him and, say, Alma the Younger. Alma the Younger is, you know, he's Alma the elder son, and he was at one point, uh, you know, a member of the church or faithful, and then he turns against and comes back. But Paul has only been known as a zealous persecutor of the church, and that's not an easy place to come from.
1: Yes. And I think Acts tells us that, right? Because when he yeah. does go to sea, goes to Jerusalem, there's this concerns for him and they're trying to get at him. And the brethren say, uh, you need to get out of Dodge and leave Jerusalem. And yeah. so he returns to his hometown of Tarsus for a while.
0: Yeah. And he has to have Ananias help him get in. And then he has to have Barnabas help him get in and so on and so on. And the, so I've never thought of this before, but as we're talking and, and, you know, there's always this theme of uh, unity. And acceptance in Paul's letters, which I think is uh, because of a number of reasons, including some of what we'll look at here—the difficulty between difficulty between do we keep the law of Moses or not—and different stratas of of social stratas of life and different Gentiles and so on. But it may also be important to Paul because he knows what it's like to try and come in as an outsider. Yeah. Uh. And and being one and accepting everyone uh, probably has some personal meaning for him. I'd never thought of that before.
1: Yeah. Very good. So chapter 2 is continues that kind of that uh autobiographical stuff. I I think uh chapter 2 is Paul giving his personal account of uh the Jerusalem council that we read about in Acts 15. Yeah. Um it's very clear in Acts 15 that uh because Paul has been teaching in Asia Minor including possible Galatian churches um, and he's been talking about how Gentiles the gospel is there um, it's not just that he's teaching to God-fearers or proselytes who uh, have, were already attracted and living certain amount of the law of Moses but he's also apparently teaching Gentiles who have have no connection to the synagogue or to the law of Moses and he apparently had some um success amongst those as well. so when people and we technically call them Judaizers, uh, who are Jewish Christians who are going to argue that any Gentile conversion must come through the law of Moses, um, Acts 15 says that uh, they go up and say, Paul, you got it wrong, and there was no small disputation, right? And no small means it was a big row over it, and that leads them to coming to Jerusalem. Well, Paul gives us some additional information here from his perspective, Um, and so he says that he goes up to Jerusalem, and something that we find out here that we don't find out in Acts is he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, but he took Titus with him also, And Titus is important, I think, because unlike Timothy, who's going to be another missionary companion who was Jewish in heritage, he had a mixed Gentile and and Jewish or Israelite um, uh, parentage, Titus seems to be a a full Gentile, right? And he takes him down here and takes him to Jerusalem with him, I think, because... uh, Titus becomes the poster child for somebody who is a Gentile who heard the gospel, who believed it, who converted, who changed his life, and is fully committed. So that in Jerusalem Council, where they're having these big debates over whether Gentiles should be circumcised or not, Paul and Barnabas have Titus and say, we're not talking in theory here, we have an individual. Right. Yeah. And and he and you can see him there. So there and then is... maybe
0: to just kind of situate this then if it's all right, the this this great Jerusalem Council that we often talk about, Acts fifteen. Um, this is between his well, kind of at the end of his first mission, yep. m- mission or journey, and it's also kind of catapults him into his second yep. one, right? It's kind of that yep. pivot point in between the two.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and again, even the the what um Acts 15 tells us about what goes on here, we get some additional information here, yeah, right? And I think that that's worth looking at. So notice he kind of says, verse 3, talking about Titus, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, Verse 4, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily, to spy out um, our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Um, so that kind of helps us see. So what are the opponents here thinking about is the law of Moses. You've got to live the law of Moses. Even right. Gentiles who, who Paul hasn't circumcised needs to come through that. Um and Paul talks about this experience.
0: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, he calls them spies and that they want to, to uh, get rid of the liberty and bring them into bondage. And, and he'll, uh, you know, elaborate on this later, bondage and law and so on and so on. But, I mean, that's pretty strong language, the way he thinks of these guys. Yes,
1: yeah. So, yes. liberty is really important, right? What he's saying, I think, is the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us liberty because Jesus honestly taught principle-based, mostly He Mm -hmm. said, love our neighbor, but he didn't go through and say, this is what it means to do it. You work it out, right? Um, uh, He gave a couple little
0: examples, like turn the other cheek and so on, but yeah.
1: Yeah, but even what does that mean specifically, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. right. And, And in some ways, I think what is happening with this Christian liberty that we see, in here in Galatians, but also Romans and First Corinthians. So it's what is very similar to what I see going on in the church today as we're thinking about the new for strength of youth, yeah. as we're thinking about efforts um, with um, Preach My Gospel, that we, we teach principles and allow people to... Uh, work out how to apply that principle for themselves now uh, and, and, and honestly this is what i think is going on in galatians and one of the major issues that is causing the tension here is this idea of what's going to help me lead the better life is it going to live by living the law of moses remember the god-fearers and the proselytes that this this really helps or is it going to be living by the Spirit? um and i think we would agree it's the second one but i also agree that sometimes uh living by the spirit is harder to do than living by specific commandments and the list of them Uh, and i don't think it's easier to have
0: a checklist of stuff like get this done today and you're good than to say how? Where am I in terms of how I love people? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. one's actually more demanding than the other,
1: and and I also but also think, less
0: guilty, guilt ridden. I think, right, but anyway, right. Yeah.
1: But I I also think that it means I've got to be pretty confident in my ability to recognize that the spirit is speaking to me, mm. and confident enough to understand what the spirit is telling me to do, and then bold enough to move forward in terms of what the spirit is saying. How many of us ask the question, well, is this just me saying this and impressions or is this the spirit? And if it's to do something good, then what does it matter? Right. But if it's Nephi being told by the spirit to kill Laban, I think I'm glad that Nephi paused there and, yeah. start and thought, whoa, hang on a minute. This yeah. isn't the, anything I've been taught. Is this really the spirit speaking to me? And am I confident in my ability to understand what it's what it's telling me and my interpretation of it? And that's where I think it's a little bit difficult. I don't know about anybody else, but um, I've had some wonderful experiences with the spirit, but I'm also a little gun-shy still in my ability to f- fully recognize understand and move forward and i don't know if i'm alone by that but no but I, that is that's my struggle right I'm,
0: I'm sure you're not in fact interestingly just a few weeks ago we were talking with my daughter who's still pretty new on her mission and she'd had some of those experiences like okay i thought this was the spirit and then it really seems like it wasn't because it didn't work out the way i thought it was going to work <laughs> out and uh, and i had kind of you know she she was struggling to figure out um do I know how to recognize the spirit? And she kind of felt alone. I'm like, Oh, how many stories do you want for mom about going through that? How many do you want for me about going through that? I don't know anyone who doesn't go through that. Right. And, and it's actually, it was a hard week for her, but as a father, I was like, wow, that's fantastic. She's having those experiences, right? Everyone has to go through it. And I think we go through it our whole life.
1: Yeah. And so let me tell you my experience. Um, So this was also my mission experience. And, uh, I had a mission where everywhere I went to had a teaching pool exactly of zero and (laughs) it was, uh, nobody in the books and you have to find someone. So, and I'm, I'm older, so they do things differently today, but it was okay. So we need to pray and seek for guidance. And that was sometimes, okay, where are we going to go and track today? Right. And I remember that. And and I was really, really young in the, in, in the mission. Right. and. and I had another companion who was also very, very young. And so we knelt down and we had the, the book open and uh, we prayed. And then we kind of looked at each other and going, ah, and I'm going, I don't know. And she said, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so what do we do now? Um, so we prayed again. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, there was some pressure on, right? And so I looked at the map and I I, I still didn't know a third time. Um, And I thought, well, maybe here. And I pointed to it. She says, okay, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have a car. So we had to get on a bus and travel miles. And when we got off the bus and walked, you know, uh, blocks to a place, we found it was a new development where not one house was finished right yeah. it, and and there were no workers there were literally no one in this cul-de-sac <laughs> and i said well actually i was a little ticked to start yeah. with i said i'm trying to do this right and and this is where we go nothing zero right and uh as we spent the rest of that day thinking about it i was thinking okay gay you can be ticked about this um and blame god or say praying for streets doesn't work or you can recognize, yeah, you're not real good at doing this yet, and you have a lot to learn about it. Mm. Um, and I have learned some things, but again, I'm not totally confident even now. On no,
0: I, I think we'll we'll all continue working yeah. on this. Well, I mean, President Monson seems to have it down, but but most of us continue to work on this our whole lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we find about uh, the Jerusalem conference that we didn't find in acts is that there seem to have been set up two parallel missions there's going to be a mission to the 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 jews mm-hmm. and that seems to be under the stewardship of peter and there's going to be a mission to the Gentiles, and that seems to be under the stewardship of Paul and Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Um, so two missions going on there, um, and I and Acts doesn't tell us anything about that. And then um, verse ten, so uh, the the council told uh, Paul and Acts, um, you go and teach the Gentiles, but here's one thing that I hope you would do, um, that you should remember the poor. And Paul says, yeah, I was I was happy to do
0: that yeah and we we actually see that in so many of his epistles that he's always working on like he took that commission seriously he's always Absolutely. working on finding things for the poor he was really faithful to that
1: yeah and i think that paul sees this collection as being a way i think that uh there comes a time in the church where the the church is close to splitting in two between yeah. those two missions. Yeah. And Paul sees this collection as a means to bridge the gap and to draw the two missions um, yeah. back together, which I think is really important.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a big part of why he's bringing uh, a lot from the Gentiles to Jerusalem when he comes back to Jerusalem that final yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
1: Okay, well, let's go to the next story because it's straight away. And this is what I call a prickly passage. I think in scripture, there are sometimes prickly passages that we can kind of think, oh, I don't want to deal with that. But other times, I think it's important for us to do this. Right. Um, so this is the occasion in chapter two, where Peter, Paul says, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. I think that's, that's prickly, verse 11. Isn't? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah, It that's is really prickly. And Paul is not averse to being prickly sometimes, right, himself with Mark and Barnabas and and, and now Peter. Um, But what is going on? Uh, This, I think, is an event that took place in the past, and I think that some of his opponents are bringing it up um, as they try to have a dig at Paul, and so that's why Paul is responding to it. Hmm. So he's going to talk about a time when Peter comes to uh is in antioch um he's there amongst the gentiles that shouldn't surprise us because he had his revelation right. um uh before he with cornelius um and he apparently is sitting down to a meal with them and doesn't seem to have any problem with doing that until says verse 12 and before that certain came from james Uh, he did, Peter did eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them of the circumcision. Right. And so this is how in my mind for a lot of years, I pictured this event. Right. There's a potluck dinner at the Antioch branch. Everybody's brought some food. They're all sitting down fine. Then all of a sudden the door opens and these people come in I I would suggest they say that they're from James, but I think that these are those Judaizers and they're coming to Antioch to see what's happening there. And when Peter sees them, he jumps up, throws his chair back and rushes out the door. That's how I imagined it, (laughs) um, as King James has said it. But um, the Greek is kind of a little different than that. Um, it says uh, when it says that he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. This the form of the verbs are here are imperfect, so it gives a sense of over time. Right, he withdrew uh, from them. Yeah, he and may I... have
0: eaten with them several times, and then once these guys arrived, then he kind of he transitions away from that, as it were, and and. Uh, is stays away? Uh, you can see he's worried about what is going to be thought,
1: right? And so I, I wonder that this is the place where, when we talked about these two missions, these two parallel missions, that maybe here they have kind of crossed over a little no. bit, and Paul, uh, Peter is thinking, my responsibility is to the Jewish mission, which would include these Judaizers who have just come
0: right who may um, stop maybe, listening to peter because they've seen him doing this
1: absolutely absolutely and so maybe i need to be a little bit more aware of what i'm doing and the impact that it has and and maybe it's so that uh paul himself taught when i'm amongst the jews i i act like a jew but when yep. i'm amongst the gentiles i act as a gentile um but um so peter is is kind of withdraws and saying i need to focus on perhaps what my stewardship is here. Um, But because others are saying, Paul, you're, you're to be blamed because of what happened here or something, Paul is trying to justify what happened there. And remember, he's already a little ticked when he's reading this. This is why I have huge questions that I want to ask both Peter and Paul about what's going on here right? Now, my way of trying to deal with this is as follows, and I don't know that everybody agrees with me or not, but uh, when I'm looking, or anybody agrees with me actually, um, when I'm looking at Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council, it seems to me that although we might read them as a single meeting, I actually think that there are two things going on. One meeting that is seems to be overseen, presided, if we want to use that language, by Peter. And he's the one who declares that Gentiles do not need to, to be circumcised to uh, be part of the church, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get another story with James. And he seems to be over something about this, and uh, and here the issue is table fellowship, eating, right? Um, and uh, what I think happens is that these are two different meetings, and that there is a period of time in between them, right? So uh, when when Gentile uh, Galatians two comes and is writing. The issue of circumcision has already been decided, but I'm not sure the uh, the story with James here has come to its fruition yet. No. How I read this is that Paul is talking about an event took place before the issue of table fellowship had been worked out between Jews and Gentile members of the church, and so Paul and Peter are wrestling with right. the the implications of Gentiles joining the church in very, very practical ways, not doctrinally, but practically, what does this mean for us in everyday life, particularly in Antioch, where, where uh, unlike Jerusalem, they're not going to have these issues. But in Antioch, we are going to have Israelites and Gentiles as part of the same branches of the church.
0: Right. And maybe just to help our, our uh, audience picture this, I mean, even just little details, when you talk about eating, you have all the kosher laws, right? All yep. the laws about what you can and can't eat. And so you have difficulties like, well, OK, I'm eating food with Gentiles that they prepared. Did they prepare this in the way that keeps it kosher or even if it was? But they're sitting here eating something that's not kosher, and I'm right next to them. Is does that affect my kosherness? Yeah. Am I okay doing this right? There are just yeah. a thousand little technical details that uh, make this difficult, and I'm sure there are some cultural issues as well, and and so on. You know, Jews having been separated for so long and feeling picked on, and now, I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of baggage everyone's yeah. bringing besides all the the technical details. Right. And so I think it's more complex than we often think it is as uh, as we sit down to to figure this out right it might be kind of like uh for a member of the church when you sit down and you find out well, okay well someone uh cooked with some uh wine but i don't know if they really cooked it out or not and can i eat this or not you know th- these kinds of questions that we sometimes i've had members of of uh, our ward where we we're talking about okay wait that uh, That health product has some green tea something in it. Is that okay or not, right? These are the the kinds of things they're mincing their way through.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, you know, in the intertestamental period, as Jews were asking themselves questions about how can I maintain this covenant identity living in a very Gentile world, which is very different than the law, the time of Moses, right? Because right. we have foreigners who are living and there are people even in Judaism who are thinking, right, we we should pick up some of these ways. And so yep. when they're, they're asking questions, how do I live in the world but not be of the world? The Jewish discussions that we see that both within and from outsiders looking in are saying there are three issues that they come up with that say we could kind of fudge on some things, but three things we can't fudge because if we fudge on these, we would cease our identity as covenant people. And the things that came in are temple, circumcision and table fellowship. Mm-hmm. So that that also kind of gives us a sense of for Jews here, this isn't just about does it have some tea in it or not. It's, it's about their identity as covenant yeah. people that is really, really important um, to them at this time.
0: Very, very good. Thank you, and 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 there wasn't even full agreement among the Jews. They, you, know, you get some groups who felt that they could become they, they dressed like Gentiles and they could do they do all sorts of things, and others who felt like no, we have to keep dressing this way and acting this way, and and that rift was the the further you got into Judaism, like geographically, like Jerusalem, you know th- that's where you see the polarization uh, yeah. a lot. They they if you compared people say in Corinth, Jews in Corinth to Jews in Jerusalem. Some, some Jews in Corinth were probably behaving like those in Jerusalem, but for the most part, there's a big difference. And, and so all of that baggage is also being brought to bear on this issue.
1: Right. right. Okay. So um, if we could kind of step back a little bit now and look at with what we've talked about and then um, help us with some of the stuff that comes. Um, this is uh, trying to understand what's happening in Galatia that is causing this letter. I've thought long and hard about this, right? And um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of what's going to help me live a better life? Is it going to be by living the law of Moses or is it going to be living by the spirit, right? So one of the things that I think that Paul's uh, opponents are doing here, I think that they're Judaizers, And they're coming into this Galatian place that has Jews and Gentiles. Proselytes and God-fearers, people who were attracted to the law of Moses. And um, uh, there is perhaps a fear going on. If you stop living the law of Moses, what's going to be the impact on your family or on our society? Um, And,
0: And where does it end?
1: Yes. Yeah. What does is, what is a lawless society look like? Yeah. Right. And so I think about this, I mean, and this is very hypothetical and I say it with utmost respect and I hope people say this. But in some ways, I think that this might be coming to conference and uh, President Nelson saying, yeah, we don't have to live the word of wisdom anymore or we don't have to live by the laws of the land anymore. You know, uh, yeah. Just work out what, what you want to do or not. I can imagine that there'd be some members in the church who go, hey, you bet, right? But others would be going, whoa, no, this will lead to anarchy, absolute yep. anarchy, yep. right? And, and I think that some of these Judaizers are thinking that. They're hearing Paul saying you don't need to live the law anymore, and they're going, whoa, that's going to lead to chaos for us, for our families, for our society, Um and so they're really concerned about that. And so they're talking to members of the church in Galatia and, and, and they're already attracted to the law of Moses and say, have you thought through the implications of this? Do you really want to throw out the law of Moses? Is this a reason you join Judaism? For Is this going to be an, um, anarchy or not? And Paul's response to this, I think, is, it is not going to give you anarchy, but it's going to give you a better family, a better life, if we learn to do it properly, mm-hmm. right? So can we turn to, I'm going to skip some chapters here, chapter 5, where Paul is again responding to this, and um, and I think he's responding because of what he's hearing coming out of Galatia. So verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul implores the people in Galatia, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty that Christ hath made us free and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Now, that word again is interesting to me. So this suggests that these aren't just Gentiles, but these are people who were once connected to the law in some way. Behold, and, and that's
0: language that Peter has used, by the way,
1: yes.
0: Uh in the Jerusalem Council, talking yep. about the law of Moses as, yep. as a yoke that neither they nor their fathers were ever able to bear.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it okay. comes up, he continues on, then he starts talking about circumcision. And so I think that this is one of those issues, not the only one, but what the Judaizers is so important to them, because this since the time of Abraham has been the sign of the covenant, right? And to not worry about that, what are the implications of that? So I'm going to, you know, he talks some more there, and I'm going to skip over that a little bit. But notice um, verse 12. Uh, There's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek and play on words here. Paul says, I would that these people who are my opponents uh, were cut off, which trouble you. Um, And so that's a play on words to circumcision. But then the the next verses are the important ones. For brethren, ye have been called to liberty. Only use not this liberty as an occasion for the flesh. I think he's addressing the concerns there, that people say there's no law. That means I can do whatever I want, and that will bring chaos. But he's going to give us now some ways to righteously use our Christian liberty and he says the first ones but by love serve one another the second great commandment if I'm trying to make a decision should I do this or shouldn't I do this let's how's my decision going to impact others right and my love for them and their progress spiritually is going to be upper mind in my mind in terms of making decisions Um, And then he goes, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then verse 16, I think he gives us a second way of a guiding light for us to righteously use Christian liberty. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? So he's coming back to, I'm saying, The most important way to do this is to follow the spirit, but you've got to walk in the spirit. You've got to live in the spirit. It's got to be a part of who you are so that you can do this well in making your choices. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. 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 And And I think it's in that next verse, it's, it's captured well, right? The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. When you, um, have the spirit with you, you recognize the, the, the conflict, the inherent conflict between being worldly and being godly. And, uh, and sometimes the fallen man in us wants to, we feel like that. Yeah. 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 So yeah. The the fallen human in us um, uh, wants to, to give to that, you know, like, no, I feel like doing this right now. Right. But, but, Mm. uh, but it's in recognizing the conflict between them and then yielding to the spirit. And that's even like uh, language in, in uh, Mosiah, right, uh, that, that we have to yield to that that spirit rather than the flesh. So we get both King Benjamin and Abinadi yeah. talking about that. That that's that's the key um, to to being able to do this the right way.
1: Yeah. So if you are led by the spirit, you are not under um, the law. Now, um, I've just been thinking recently by a talk with uh, President Oaks and Sister Oaks and. Um, He talks about some really, really great things there. But the thing that stood out to me, and I hope that I'm representing his intent and what he said accurately, but it was uh, Stand for Truth, a talk that he gave to the young single adults. And one of the things that stood out to me about sometimes, and I don't know whether this is what he said exactly, I should have looked it up, I apologize, but this is what Jumped into my head. Sometimes we can kind of talk about law and spirit as separate things. And so mm-hmm. do we follow the law? And I think this is what's happening on in Galatia. Follow the law or do we follow the spirit? But elder a President Oaks was says, we just need to learn to live the law completely mm-hmm. and to learn to love completely. And when those things happen. There is no distinction. Right. And I wonder if the same thing is happening here. Um, Maybe we have a very limited understanding of law and we always associate it with the law of Moses. But he's going to talk, Paul's going to talk in chapter 6 about the law of Christ, right? Yeah. Um, but, But finding the ways to live the law perfectly as God intended it and to live by the Spirit in a very deep and nuanced way as God intended it. And maybe if we get to that point, then this is a moot discussion.
0: I I would agree. And in fact, I think it's it's part of what is uh, at least implied in that phrase, you know, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets, that, that if we loved perfectly, then all the things in the law would just kind of happen naturally. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I don't maybe not all the things maybe we wouldn't have to have little things hanging off of our our tassels hanging off of our hem of our garment or whatever the equivalent would be today. But uh, but the, the real things of the law, we would live perfectly because that's what we wanted to do because we love God and we love other people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's in that context that we have these verses that we use all of the time right in the church about the spirit. Mm-hmm. Verse 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Um, and, and, I, and I see these as Paul responding to those who said, if you get rid of the law, you're going to have anarchy. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, when we learn to live by the Spirit properly, this yeah. is the kind of society, this is the kind of family, this is the kind of personal experience that we're going to have. This is the goal of paying the price to really learn what it means to follow the Spirit in our our, our life.
0: Amen. Amen. And maybe, uh, I mean, those are kind of famous verses, and, and maybe I can just say, and maybe I'm the only one that has had this misunderstanding, but I can remember I memorized this as a, a seminary student right in high school. And I really thought I was saying, okay, this is how you can recognize when you're feeling the spirit. It's because you feel love and joy and peace and mm-hmm. gentleness and so on. And I think that is accurate, but when you read the whole context, and that's what happens too often when we memorize just like a little verse and we didn't look at any of the ones. So I'm not saying don't memorize verses, but look at the context. I think in the context, it, it, the verses before those are saying, okay, when, when you're following the, the flesh or the world, then this is the way you live. And he's got, you know, witchcraft, hatred, yeah. Uh, wrath, strife, seditions, envies, murders, drunkenness, all, all these kinds of things, right? But That's when you the kind live, of
1: society you get.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs> even even when you have a law, if you ha- don't have the spirit, that's what you get, right? You end up breaking whatever the laws are because you don't have the spirit. But when you have the spirit with you, you are naturally the kind of person who loves and has joy and is long-suffering and so on. Right? That, that, so, it is a way to recognize that you're feeling the spirit. But when it says it's the fruits of the spirit, I think he's saying this is the kind of being you become. This is the fruit in your life when you have the spirit with you. Yes. And and both are good and uh, and wonderful. Uh, but if I'm going to I don't want to put one above the other. But I, I, for me, it's been revolutionary to think, ah, when I am wanting to have peace more than contention when I feel love more than envying that that's a good indicator that I am having the spirit with me more than not. And and that's an important element in my life.
1: Yeah. And then verse 25, if we live in the spirit, and I take that to mean um, we're having, we're being told, follow the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that we also walk in the spirit. So let's not just talk about it theoretically. But let's pay the price to fully embrace that. Which for me is gonna take longer than a lifetime, I think before I'm there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you could say, let's do it, right? We could be Mm -hmm. President Kimball-ish. If if we live in the spirit, let's go do it. Whatever the spirit is telling us to do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. We're all still, and that goes back to our conversation earlier. We're all still trying to figure out how to do that and how to recognize it and so on. But yeah. Yeah. And I think that last verse speaks to, uh, in many ways, all the stuff he's been talking about, right? Let's Let's not be desirous of vainglory, but, uh, vain but especially this part. Let's not provoke one another and let's not envy one another. Uh, and uh, I mean, that sentiment is in just about every letter Paul writes, right? Let's l- We don't have to envy each other because you live the law this way and I live it this way, or you have this gift and I have that gift and let's not provoke each other over it. Let's let's find unity and harmony and love uh, as we do these things. And, and we you'll do some the- better than me.
1: Yeah, and recognize that we're all on the covenant path and we're all trying to do the best that we can. And yeah. we we might do things a little differently, but we're trying. I mean, having confidence and trust in one another that we really are trying. Yeah. Um, and that's going to bring us together. It's not going to pull us apart. Yeah, I love Paul. And, oh, my gosh, I love Paul.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah, I I would say along the same Like my guess would be, that whatever your temptations are, and you're a wonderful person, but I'm sure you have temptations, okay? Whatever your temptations are, your biggest temptations, they're probably not my biggest temptations. And we should probably be careful, like judging each other on how well you do in keeping what is not a temptation for me and vice versa, right? And so on, but just say, I'm doing my best. You're doing your best. Let's help each other do well and love each other. And anyway, yeah.
1: And I think he continues on here in chapter six, Again, just because we follow the spirit um, doesn't mean that we aren't going to be accountable still for our choices. So notice chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man or a woman soweth, he shall also reap. So there are some things from our choices. There are consequences for our choices. Uh, But 9 and 10. But let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially them who are of the household um, of faith. So we have those gifts of the spirit as this is the outcomes of it. But I think the other outcome is that, we again, we'll have this community, this family, both nuclear and broader. Right. Where This is going to be a much better community uh, to live in. And, uh, and I think that's huge for Paul, given the circumstances and what he's finding happening in Galatia at the time.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever thought of this way, but I do think that Paul really is trying to build Zion communities mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. That's, that's what he wants. And he knows the way to get there is to have everyone live uh, as the spirit directs, full of love. And uh, that's what he's encouraging us. And I think that's what we're trying to do as well that's that's wonderful stuff Gay. thank you so much I, I really appreciate uh, your taking us through this letter uh, I, I'm just edified and I'm sure my audience is and I I know I want to go and do better uh, and uh, and be full of long suffering and patience so thank you for taking us there.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you again I, I love Paul I love it. Paul in my estimation is worth the effort to come to understand him because when we do gosh there was a reason i think that the prophet joseph loved paul yeah right and quoted from him i think he saw a lot of similarities between paul's mission call and his mission call but there's no doubt in my mind as i read what the prophet talked about that that he loved paul and so oh, I, yeah. I take that as my mission then that if the prophet felt that way then there's much for me to learn and it's worth the effort uh to study him.
0: Well, you've helped me uh, in a number of ways become a lover of Paul and I think our audience as well. So thank you for that.
1: Thanks, Carrie. It's always good to be with you.
0: It is. This is just, this is the best stuff to just get together with friends and, and uh, go through the gospel together. It's it's edifying. So we hope our audience will do the same thing. Take the things you learned here, discuss them with other people, share them with other people. You can all, uh, you do it in patience and love, but uh, you, you, we can all uh, grow together, become more Zion-like together. We hope you'll share this episode with people. I'm learning that we should ask you to do likes and comments and things like that so that more people will find this. But uh, uh, I'm not good at the business end of this, but I sure like the, the uh, discussion part. And so I hope you'll do that with all of your friends. So thank you to Gay and thank you to everybody.